The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. George Floyd was laid to rest in Houston on Tuesday of this week. But the funeral is over. The court case that will result from his murder on a Minneapolis street will continue for some time. But that court case is not where we need to focus. Where we need to focus is on the challenge that confronts all of us in this country to confront our tortured racial past and to manage our way with law enforcement to a better American society, to move the arc of history more toward the vision of Thomas Jefferson and Martin Luther King to a world in which we are all equal. But we're a long way from that. We've seen two weeks of protest marches, some violence, and a whole lot of false urgency. What we haven't done is addressed the central issues. This is Joyce Cordy, and you're listening to the Reimagine America podcast. Oh, damn. I'm not. This is Joyce Cordy, and you're listening to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I solve problems. I don't make them. But before I can solve a problem, I need to understand it. And here today to help us to understand the challenge of being black in America is Karen Watson. Karen is the founder and president of the GOPbuzz.com, an internet portal for Republican-centric events nationwide. Karen Watson is the author of three books, Jackass, The History of the Democratic Party and Their Abuse of Black America, How Democrats Stole the Black Vote and How Republicans Can Win It Back, Being Black and Republican in the Age of Obama. While a high school student in 1984, Ms. Watson attended her first Republican National Convention to nominate Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush and has remained active in the Republican Party ever since. She's been a keynote speaker at various Tea Party and other Republican clubs, and she communicates her message that Republican conservative values are the right values for all Americans, regardless of race or gender. Karen is a native Texan and lives in Dallas. She's been interviewed on numerous radio and television shows and has spoken at 250 events across the country. 
She's a graduate of the University of Texas at Austin, where she majored in English and took a speech concentration in Russian. Before politics became her full-time job, Karen was a vice president at the Bank of America, the number one mortgage loan officer in units and volume nationwide for four consecutive years. Watson is a columnist with Politichicks and other national blogs and newspapers. Karen, I am so grateful that you are willing to take the time to talk with us about such a really tough issue. You know, I was listening to Meet the Press this past Sunday. Lonnie Bush, who is the curator of the African History Museum, was on the show and uh, he made the point that this is both a moment of optimism, but a moment to remember we've been here before. And, yeah. and I, I, I think you, that's a point that needs emphasis. And this time, there are great differences, said Mr. Bush. Um, more people are involved. The diverse group of people trying to fight for change. But to be honest, as an African-American, I'm tired of mourning. I'm tired of carrying the burden for all of us. But what I realize is that this is a challenge for all of us to finally confront America's tortured racial past. Joyce, I... Karen. Yeah. Thank you for being bold enough to have the conversation. And that's so what's needed. And we have to be honest, but absolutely, this has been a, it's been jarring for not just our country, but even, even all across the globe, you know, what they're doing in the UK and even New Zealand. And so this is shocking. And, um, and I, I think it's hard to, it's so hard to see. And but I think that people are honestly beginning to see what happened and being black and, uh, has a, is a challenging thing to be. I mean, because people are always judging and then misjudging and, and saying things and as if it's okay when Vice President Biden said, if you don't vote for me, you're just not black. And that was just a couple of weeks ago. I mean, the level of, insens- of people being so insensitive about about that is just like, wow, you know, it's, we need to no. develop better narratives. And, I, and we need I to think, realize that we're our brother's keeper. Yeah, well, that was part of what Lonnie Bush said, that this is not a black problem. This no. is a quintessential American problem. And yeah. it's the moment to seize the pain and to seize the promise of America. And, yeah. and, you know, one of the things I, I want us to focus on is your experience as a black American, because none of us, I mean, we can empathize, we can think we know, but Karen, we don't. I mean, right. I, I know I, I'm Jewish. And so I know yeah. what it's like to watch somebody, you know, wrestle your brother to the ground and paint Jew and kike on his cheeks. I've been there. Yeah. But I can't walk in your I can't walk in your shoes, and I I want you to take a few minutes to help us to understand what it is like to be a 
college educated, extremely successful black woman in the, in the modern South. That's what I am. I am a black woman who has lived in America and has been prejudged and uh, I have been considered a suspect and I have been treated in ways that you would not, you would not think that anyone should be treated. And there's always this level of suspicion around black people about, okay, you know, what did we do? And we were just born. You know what I'm saying? We were just mm-hmm. born. I didn't choose my color. I would have. I love being black. I mean, but I didn't choose it. Nor did you choose your color. Nor, I mean, we just, these are things that are, that are inherent to us. But this level of suspicion, this level of being unable to be trusted, this level of thinking, you know, I didn't realize, but my mother was telling me, and my mother is still the smartest woman I've ever met, but my mother was telling me that she grew up in a time where white people treated her as if they're better. So it's not, I mean, just being, telling someone that they're better, you're better because of a color of your skin, that you, that's insane. I mean, and I, I, it's just, and it's okay to treat black people in a certain way. And our laws have got to change and our views have got to change. And we really are our brother's keeper and we must begin to treat each other as if we are responsible for each other and see so, each other as children of God. And that, and by beginning that, then, then we can release all of this nonsense that's been going on because I'll tell you, Joyce, one thing is, you know, I speak all over the country and I've said it so many times before. And I always go back to the, the things that people, we know, you know, because we, in America, there are things that we call self-evident. We hold these mm-hmm. truths self-evident. The things that we ought to know. And I always go back to a lot of the little kindergarten rhymes because there's a lot of truth in those. You know what I'm saying? And I always mm-hmm. tell people, you know, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, had a big fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men could not put him back together again. We can break and can't be put back together again. And if we continue this breaking, I'm afraid that that will be a story in a chapter of a place that used to be called America that used to be something like this. It is so big. And yet, I think some people are beginning to see it and others just because they don't want to see it, but we have all got to get engaged in coming up with new new ways to be our brother's keeper. Now that doesn't mean I am, I mean, I'm a staunch conservative as most black people are, but I don't think that that means also that we defund the police and we do, we go so radical left that, None of this makes sense, but we've got to be common sense policies and treat each other the way, you know, treat people like you want to be treated. I think that's an important point, treating others the way you want to be treated. So you say that you do notice the difference. So let's, let's say, let's say you go to Neiman Marcus. Do you feel 
you know, you know, I always feel like there are 13 saleswomen after me because, um, you know, they all want to sell me something. Do you feel differently? Well, I'll tell you something, a true story from, and of course, all the things that are true, but my mother mentioned one time that she wanted to buy some shoes for my grandmother. And she, because she's got her special hat and a special dress, and she wanted to buy these shoes for her, some kind of silver shoes. And she went into Neiman Marcus, and my grandmother, I think, was a size 10. And the woman, the sales lady said, oh, we don't, have, we don't sell size 10 in Neiman. Knowing that that was a lie, but, she, you know, the salesperson said, oh, we just don't sell that. And I will say this, Stanley Marcus was a heck of a man. Stanley Marcus fought for civil rights. So I don't want to equate that salesperson with the amazing brand and the amazing man of Stanley Marcus. But so, yeah, now me, I, I've always believed that there is no one above me. There's no one below me, but there's no one above me. The queen of England is not above me. The president of the United States is not above me. There is no one below me. The, the crack addict, the, person that's struggling financially the the no one is below me no one is above me that's just who the kind of person i am so and if people don't want to take my money i'm like thank you because my money spends like everybody else's money and i can definitely put it someplace that wants it but no there there is racism and we have to like what you were saying you can't treat what you won't acknowledge and we have to do better and we that's must do better. Asked, and we yeah. Do better. yeah. Yeah. That's, that's why I asked the question. Um, because I'm, I'm now beginning to sense that there is a difference in how yeah. people are treated and, and why that, you know, and, and I don't, I think we have to acknowledge that before we can fix it. Yes. Yes. Yes, we have to. And we must um, be sensitive to it, you know, and make sure that we don't propagate it on, on all sides. And people are so frustrated and they're so mad and they're not simmering down. So, I mean, the bomb of Gilead needs to appear because I, we have an amazing nation and it still is. A land of opportunity. It still is the greatest nation in the world. And I don't want that to go away because we can't deal with these issues. It's like Rome. Rome imploded. And yep. we're imploding. We are imploding. Yep. And yep. pretending that we're not is just take the blinders off. And Dallas, a city that I love, and no matter where I go, I always tell people Dallas is my favorite city in the whole wide world. And you drive through downtown Dallas, and there, one of the stores, Neiman Market, which is a flagship store in downtown Dallas, and all the other retailers decided to leave, Neiman stayed trying to be a huge anchor for our great city. They had bricks thrown into their window, and it's boarded up. 
I never thought yeah. I'd see something like that. You see wow. graffiti all through downtown Dallas and even outside. I never thought I'd see something like that. This is, and this is the, the peak of the iceberg. As you know, icebergs get really, I mean, what you see at top is nothing to do with is at the bottom. And that's something I want people to also acknowledge. This is huge. This is huge. And we've so, got to start taking it so seriously. What, what you're saying is there is widespread rage. Oh, yes. Oh, and, yes. And, and that that rage is justified in many ways. Well, you know, I, the losing is, is not beneficial. It's the looting, the graffiti that has no benefits. It doesn't move the, it doesn't help black Americans one iota. And it is wrong. If I, you know, I will be, if I'm not the first or whatever, the 1,000 or 1 million, it is wrong. But it is a reaction on, on some of it's orchestrated and some of it, you know, like I was at with my beautician yesterday and he was like, He's a black man, and he was like, look, he goes, black people did not bring those bricks. They had pallets of bricks downtown to start throwing in. He said, we didn't do that. But we are being used and manipulated for that also. But people are frustrated. I mean, there's a real anger and a real frustration, and it's just, you know, it's not just going to be, okay, sit over there, and it'll be okay. No, it's a, it's a real deal, and it's getting... So what out here so, see, to talk to people about it yeah so you know me i like bullets um yeah when you say no i mean as in you know bulletized lists not no, <laughs> i know uh -huh. not not nra bullets i i have to clarify yeah. that i guess um so when you say the black population is frustrated Mm -hmm. Give me, give me three or four bullets underneath that heading. Frustrated as because no one sees the issue and pretends that it's not there. That's the reason why so many people are saying, say his name. Frustrated that people almost, that, that the problem is invisible, that people are shocked that this happened when after the man from Aubrey, I think is his name. I can think of his last yeah, name right now. Right. Who was yeah. shot for jogging in daylight, went to a house that had been a new construction, just viewing it as I know most of the people that I know have done before, just looking curiosity. Yeah. You know, yeah. 25 years old, shot dead. Uh, shocked in my favorite city, uh, Dallas, Botham Jean was sitting in his own apartment on a Saturday night. A white cop comes into his house, shoots him dead. And that that was just less than two years ago. And Brianna Taylor, uh, a black woman who was shot eight times dead by a white cop. I mean, these things happen over and over and over and over again. The uh, woman in the white woman in Central Park uh, who called the police 
because the gentleman said, well, you put your dog on a leash and only, and she called the police saying an African-American man is threatening my life, knowing that she was putting him at, at a undue danger because yeah. he wasn't doing that, but she was threatening his life by even making that claim. And it, you know, it just goes on and on. And then on top of that, we have the fact that the unemployment rate for black Americans has skyrocketed. We have, and you know, I know everyone's through the shutdown order, but even with COVID-19, the, we are overrepresented in the debt and the illnesses from COVID-19. We have, I mean, it's just crazy. We're so does, still being discriminated. Yeah. Yeah. Does the rage, when you say there's frustration and there's also rage and that the rage is really deep, is, yes. is the rage, is the rage around um, the f social issues of, of, you know, housing the projects. I mean, you know, George Floyd grew up in the projects. Um, yeah. You, you know, I mean, yes, good things. Howard Schultz grew up in the projects too, but you know, that's a different story or maybe it's an example um, of, of the difference. But um, is, it, is it rooted, is the rage rooted in the social issues that surround being black in America in too much of America in terms of um, opportunity? Is that still a, a, a core part of the iceberg that when we aren't looking, we don't see? I think that's part of it. I think it's, it's just this level of being ignored and uncared for. When you see so many black Americans who have been abused by the system and who have been and by the system, I mean, even the justice system. Uh, Ava DuVernay came up with a great documentary about the Central Park Five, which when you think about those boys who were, and I mean, yes, and they were boys. They were young boys who were uh, thrown into the system because they were forced to give confessions. I mean, these are kids. You can, I mean, these are kids. And then, then they ended up going to jail for something they didn't do. And that happens a lot. That happens a lot. Just this, oh, so what? We'll just, you know, abuse them. So, yeah, it, there, there's a lot of different levels of frustration and rightly earned. So it's a serious thing. And I'm hoping people begin to say, you know what? We've got to stop and, and pretend that this is okay because this is not okay. But the good thing is, too, Joyce, there is, you see people of all races realizing something bad happened here. So it wasn't just the time where you're like, okay, well, let's just try to find a way to, you know, pretend that, well, this was just a bad man and it's okay. What happened to Floyd and, and so many others, it was not okay. It was not okay. And so many others, it just hasn't been okay. So I'm just, I'm thankful that they are making attempts to correct some long, you know, some 
deferred issues that should not have been so. But I think people are beginning to say, let's start and do this right. Okay, so if if we're gonna start and do it right, um, we're not going to disband the police, but clearly, no, no that, that's, clearly, a, that, that's a non sequitur. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly there is a need for reform. Um, yeah. and, and, and that may be structural reform. I, I kind of get the idea that, you know, cops are people too. And mm-hmm. we've at, we've asked more of them than perhaps we should in terms of right. asking them if, 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 if you've ever seen the, um, the musical West Side Story about Officer Crunky, you know, there's a song in there called Officer Crunky and, and um, which talks about, well, okay, so, um, you know, the criminal gang members are saying, oh, well, so we're, you know, it's, it's all societal. And then, no, it's all that we're just bad. And it's, you know, it, it takes into account the fact that the cop on the beat also has to be a social worker and sometimes a teacher. Um, and, you know, are we asking too much of our police? Are we in one way asking them to be more and 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 yes you know of the thousand um officer involved crimes of um killings last year people who died in a in a a police involved encounter in the united states were a thousand and of those 50 percent were white um but are we saying that in the black community in the way that black that, that the police, whether or not they are themselves black or white, um, come or or some other you in in te- Texas, I'm a lot of Hispanic police officers. Um, are we saying that there needs to be structural reform that limits their responsibility vis-a-vis some of these social issues? Would do we need to? simplify their job? Is that part of the solution? I think part of the solution is is that we refuse to have bad cops. And we who work in the, you know, the police area, the police departments, they know that there are bad cops out there. But Mm -hmm. what, you know, there is, and you can have, like this man Chauvin, he had 17 uh, reports against him. And I was mentioning this someone in my entire work history. I haven't had 17 formal complaints against me in my entire work history. I can't even think I've had, I can't even think of two in my entire work history because that 17 is a lot. For, to have a formal complaint against you, that's a lot. So why would they dug up another one? It was court? it was eight. It was eighteen in nineteen years, and that's the that's, question. So that's what I'm saying. There are the cops, for the most part, the vast majority of police officers are there to protect and serve. The vast majority. I mean, overwhelming. I'm not talking about like a 51, 49% majority. I mean like 99% of cops who are on the force are amazing servants of the community. But that 1% is there. 
and that needs to be weeded out and they do not need to be police officers. You do not need to have that kind of authority. It's just not right. It's just not appropriate that we would give someone the, 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 to have a life and death control over another person and you are a racist person. If you can't look at someone and look at them as someone you can serve, you don't need to be a police officer. And these departments, they know where the bad cops are. There are some people who make mistakes. And I know sometimes there's just, cops are people too. And you can make a bad mistake and you can think you saw something and it didn't, it wasn't what you saw, but the essence of you is not racism. But there are some racist cops that do not need to be on the force and they need to be taken off immediately, like yesterday. And these departments need to do a thorough investigation and drain the swamp of these bad cops because they're, they're tearing up the country. I think that's true. But let me ask you um, to look on the other side of the mirror. Mm -hmm. Is there, because, because of the history, of the unfortunate history um, of Blacks in America, is mm -hmm. there an attitude in the Black community um, that leads to some of these rapid escalations of situations which should be resolved in a more peaceful way? You know, I think that what happens is that when the suspect is Black, the reaction is totally different. And the same Memorial Day weekend when Mr. Floyd was murdered, because he was murdered, there yeah. was a young white kid that had killed two people from Connecticut, going up and down, and stealing on a killing spree, they apprehended that man, and he was alive. They apprehended him alive. There is a different attitude towards the police with black people than with white people, and that is just the truth. So if we don't honestly recognize that, then we, we're still not seeing it. So are there going to be more white people who have been killed by cops than, than blacks? Yes, because they're more white people. But when you are always under suspicion that you did something wrong and or this is what it is, and you know, then people get defensive. And that's not good for anybody. Not good for the that's cops, how, not good for the, yeah. Yeah, that's how the r rapid escalations happen because uh -huh. people get defensive. Uh -huh. um, so then, Karen, you would agree with Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina, who has been tasked by the um, by the Senate Majority Leader, by Mitch McConnell, to uh, come up with a response to the bill that's now moving forward in the House of Representatives. Um, and one of the things that uh, Tim Scott is proposing uh, is something I think is is probably well overdue. And that is not just that you need to, from an individual police force, weed out the bad apples, okay? Right. But, but that you need a national register so that if you get fired by, let's say, the LA 
police department, you can't go to Arizona and get hired. I mean, due process is a constitutional right. And again, I am not trying to protect a bad cop, but I think we just still have to make sure that we're protecting the constitutional rights because you could end up in a place where you could be, you know, people could say, well, I just don't like Joe and then Joe can never work again. So I just, and it could be, it, it could not always be the truth. You see what I'm saying? So I think we just yeah. have to make sure that we, that people are not, it's not taken advantage of, but these police departments know who these bad cops are and they need to weed them out. That I stand by. Now, whether we start black, you know, start having a list and is your name on the list? And then that gets kind of well, weird too. But. Given, given the difficulties that are, present in firing a police officer for bad conduct in most okay. of the major cities in this country, I don't think it'll be a really long list, but it should be. In other words, yeah. you know, the power of the union is a part of the problem. And, you know, what, I, what I'd like to do, Karen, is say, you know, I think we've covered a lot of ground and I appreciate your honesty. Um, yeah. Because I, I, think, I think as people, We've got to recognize that um, it the our own behavior individually is not always okay either. But what yeah. I'd like to do, because you are a politically conservative black person in this country, yeah. you're a professional. So yeah. I'd love to invite you back to have a conversation about <clears throat> a little cold hard politics in light of the th tremendous, the three-pronged problems we're going to have between now and November. Are you willing to do that? Could I get you to I come back? I would love that. I would love that. And I would just like to conclude with Langston Hughes' poem, if you don't mind. It won't even take a minute. Sure. But it, and it was Langston Hughes who was an incredible poet out of the Harlem Renaissance, a Black American. And he wrote a poem called What Happens to a Dream Deferred? And it's, this is what happens. He said, does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load or does it explode? It explodes. And we just need to um, be very careful and be very kind to each other. I think you're absolutely right. I'll look forward to talking again. Thank you, Bye. thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. 
Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.